and welcome to Activating Sustainability, the Anthesis podcast. I'm your host, Chris Peterson. Today we're digging into the drama and mixed messages coming out of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, and perhaps more importantly, what it means for companies going forward. To explore the events, issues, and response, I'm joined by Don Reed, Executive Director of Anthesis Group, who recently published a blog post on our site called Unraveling the March 4th ESG Updates from the SEC. Don, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Good to be speaking with you. So what is going on? <laughs> What's going on at the SEC? Well, let's start with the facts and then fill in some context uh, behind that. So at the beginning of March, uh, the acting chair of the commission um, announced a new climate and ESG task force. And interestingly, it was based in the Division of Enforcement. And the charge to that um, new task force was to look at, quote, material gaps or misstatements of issuers' disclosures of climate risks, end quote. And when issuers in the security exchange speak is reporting companies because they issue securities. So that's how they refer to them. And the task force was also um, charged with looking at disclosures and compliance issues of ESG investment funds, asset managers, and, and, and investment advisors. And they went on to say that they were going to use big data analytical techniques to do this analysis. So all of this was fairly, um, you know, in one sense, novel and, and um, new ground for the SEC to describe in some ways. But then later that day, two other SEC commissioners, so not the acting chair, both appointed uh, by the past Republican administration, said, hey, not so fast. The commission itself took no action and really asked the questions, is this just continuing existing work streams with a PR twist? And is there anything different going on here? And then essentially kind of answered their own question by saying, it's not clear yet. And so had these kind of conflicting announcements from the SEC on ESG that caused some confusion or at least a little bit of uncertainty. Uh, And so what we're hoping to do today is talk a little bit more about that and package it and um, think about what the implications are for companies. And the important context there is that this isn't brand new with the SEC. The SEC has ongoing work streams on ESG that have been quietly going on at the staff level for some time. And and some of them have already come to the surface. You may recall in in 2020, uh, the SEC introduced new disclosure requirements for companies on human capital. And this was all part of a effort to modernize the mandatory financial disclosures. So that happened well before all of this um, came to light. The other key piece of the context is that the Biden administration is really doing what many other countries have, have done or are in the process of doing, which is to integrate ESG into central banking and capital markets regulation. And in many cases in, in other countries, that's you know already becoming manifest as mandatory um, ESG disclosure, EU regulations around sustainable finance disclosure, and uh, just kind of a broader pattern there. And here in the United States, it's really evident in the National Economic Council, 
Federal Reserve, Commodities Future Trading Commission, and, and yes, the Securities Exchange Commission, all taking some form of action around ESG and or climate risk as a part of their official regulatory uh, functions. And so essentially saying ESG kind of gets integrated into ordinary bank and capital markets regulation. One tagline is that after all that, the SEC did also open a public comment period with 15 high-level questions about ESG integration for different audiences. So that's an opportunity to, one, sort of see how they are framing the questions at the Securities Exchange Commission, as well as an opportunity to, to comment on that. So, Don, do you see this as a stumble by what sounds like a faction within the SEC that's trying to take some steps forward? Or do you see this, or yeah, I guess it's tempting to get into the palace intrigue here, as I know you've mentioned previously, you know, but I guess maybe more importantly, regardless of kind of the chaos we're in, where do you expect all of this to land as we go forward? Well, I think there's a couple of things that help kind of answer that question one is that I think in a lot of ways it reflects the immaturity of ESG as a disclosure topic in conventional financial analysis. And so that's something that we all, that's the societal we are coming to, to grips with. And the SEC is really mirroring that immaturity in that process. So I think that that's a reasonable part of the explanation. There's also a element of what does the staff do? What does the commission do at the SEC? And others are probably better positioned to comment on the specifics of that. But there are clear actions that the SEC staff can and, and have taken uh, that are distinct from what the commission does. But overall, you know, the commission's got to come to terms with how they want to position the mandatory disclosures and guidance to companies, as well as the enforcement actions and lots of other things that they do around, uh, around ESG. So when you think about how does that kind of come together in a bit, you know, we'd expect a couple months of, of not a lot of greater clarity coming out of the process and, and some continued swirl. I would imagine that some of it would be more behind, you know, closed doors and less public than this all was. There will be an additional commissioner, so the you know the voting at, at the commissioner level you know will resolve over time. But I think that the implications and how how this sort of you know where it's likely to land for companies is already becoming at least a little bit clear just by the fact that they're having this conversation. And by that I mean that ESG as a set of topics has been being elevated in conventional securities and um, analysis and reporting, and all that is only going to become stronger and more powerful and a bigger deal, and that it really strengthens underlying trends around disclosure. Because remember, in sort of separate from ESG, there's been a longstanding effort by issuers, by companies, to do formal disclosures that maybe are in addition to or outside of existing guidance, and particularly around non-financial information. 
and disclosing um, accounting information under different assumptions than are called for by FASB. And so there's, there's lots of conversations and thoughts about how disclosure can get better and be more modernized and meet the needs of both the issuers and the uh, investment community. And this is kind of like part of that. It has a life of its own, but it's certainly also part of that. Yeah, well, hopefully future discussions can be a little clearer, if you will, or maybe not as public uh, around that. I'm sure that's not how anybody wanted that to kind of play out, um, or maybe not. But I'd be curious to hear you speak a little bit more to those underlying trends. What gives you the confidence that, you know, clearly there's a debate raging within the SEC and different factions within that. Um, what gives you a level of confidence of where where this is likely to land? Right. Well, there's a couple of uh, parts to that pattern that lead to greater certainty over time. One is that, like, remember that all ESG disclosures have always been voluntary. They've things that you choose as a as a company to disclose and or report, and you choose what if to use a standard for those disclosures or not to do that, and to do disclose to a standard maybe partially, and. That's not going to change overnight, but when you look at the patterns around the world, that is in the process of changing in the European Union and the UK. There are signs of it changing in some markets in Asia. And so you might take the interpretation that, well, the US is lagging behind making some of these voluntary disclosures more mandatory. And I think that they it may, they may not become mandatory in the United States, maybe ever, but they're likely to get more uniform and to more consistent standards over time as they get more attention and investors are more forceful around saying, we really need these disclosures to be standardized. And that that, that is a trend towards more consistency in the disclosure and treatment of these disclosures by the SEC. So the SEC is likely to give more guidance about how to address these issues and potentially requiring more disclosure on them, but they're probably not going to come at it with with a particularly heavy hand. And part of the pattern that may occur is that when in an industry, the ESG disclosures or climate risk disclosures become uh, more important and companies are disclosing in really different ways, they may want to weigh in and say, well, we're not requiring this, but it would be better if everybody were disclosing in the same way so things were comparable and consistent over time so you could do both cross-company comparisons as well as over time. Yeah, really interesting. And Taking a step back, it sounds like the long-term trend, eventually we're going to get to this stage, right? We hear the demand from the investor community. I see it within, say, electric utilities and efforts by EEI to kind of come up with a consistent reporting framework, et cetera, just to kind of match with what you're saying. Eventually we'll get there. But, you know, what would you see as, what is the soonest you could see us getting there? Like how soon would people need to be ready for that eventuality? Well, So no crystal ball is very clear on this. Come on, Don. That's what I was counting on. I was looking for it. (laughs) There's also a set of actions at the global level that are part of this also. So you may have seen how 
GRI, SASB, the Carbon Disclosures Standard Board, and International Integrated Reporting Council have been in an organized effort to get the International Accounting Standards Board to take up ESG disclosure as a part of their guidance. And so that's going to be also a long-term process. But there's some things you can say about you know, the fact that the, all these things are happening kind of at the same time is that the preponderance of evidence is that this is in the process of changing and that it is likely to be different on a two-year time horizon, almost certainly, and could start being discernibly different on a one-year time horizon, particularly for those companies that are really global and doing business in, in European markets, where some of the standards will apply to companies, whether they're headquartered there or not, as long as they have investment uh, clients in the European Union. And with most globalized financial services, that's pretty much everybody. So I think that that kind of time horizon is probably realistic and uh, not too overly predictive about what will happen. And maybe one last question on this is, do you expect the SEC and the regulations here to be kind of a leading indicator of those requirements? Or would you expect them to kind of lag behind, say, the interests of BlackRock or other institutional investors that are kind of driving those behaviors within the finance departments? Well, part of the SEC's charge is to bring order to the capital markets and so they're not really charged with being the innovator or the standard setter you know, for what's, the, what's at the cutting edge. And so I think you, really on both sides, I think you would expect that whatever the SEC does will set the floor for corporate disclosures on ESG and climate risk, and that that will be below what some of the leading voluntary reporters are doing on both those counts. And then likewise, on the investor side, that uh, many of the investment products that are, that are ESG-themed already have great disclosure and, and aren't going over the top, but many of those will change also. And as that happens, you would expect that the cutting edge for what do investors want to see in disclosures on this will continue to outpace what the SEC is actually doing. So with all that in mind, right, the kind of chaos within the SEC, the desire for details that aren't quite yet hammered out, you know, a clear trend in this direction, but no clear timeline of when it will become enforced, let's say, what, what should companies do? How, how do you react to this kind of current status? So I think there are a set of things that many are already doing and that everybody should be doing in the face of some uncertainty, but pretty strong indications that the game is changing a bit here. And one is to be very aware of what's going on out there and what that means for you and your company. And secondly, to be smart about your own disclosures. And so to say, where are we making market claims around environmental and sustainability outcomes and, and actions on our side? And do we have full support for those claims? Are they well-documented and have good support? Do we know any weaknesses of any of those claims we're making? And does that tell us 
ways which we can might either modify the claim or strengthen the supporting you know documentation around those claims. I think there's there's some actions that are around the whole of your enterprise, like have you had a conversation about these issues with your CFO, controller, chief legal counsel that has responsibility for mandatory regulated financial filings? Because that's a group that is getting other information about the SEC and, the, and ESG from you know what's happening at the commission itself, et cetera. But you know you should be engaged with them. I know most of our you know, most clients are, but but it's important to do that. And so you think about how can we as an enterprise be ready to deal with this uncertainty and what does that mean? Are there places in which we are not making the same claim or making the same point everywhere across the organization? How can we clean that up? So it's not just about the the organized disclosures like uh, you know filing a 10K. It's really all your disclosures that you want to be harmonized and clear on any sort of ESG claims or storylines. And then we think that everybody, and this has almost nothing to do with the SEC action, but in general, everybody should really have a clear narrative, the story in their head about how is it that what we do on ESG creates business value? How does it strengthen our strategy? And how do we know that it's in fact doing that? And that's easier to say than it is to do, but that's definitely an issue here because you want to be able to have your ESG disclosures in context with your overall business and financial reporting and because there's this convergence here. And so when we think about that, it's easy for ESG specialists to get very focused on reporting standards and saying like, oh, I need to accomplish you know, reporting against SASB and I need to have a TCFD aligned report and I need to communicate that way. And that's all good, but it's not a substitute for having that narrative that's clear. So we like to think that you should use those reporting standards to strengthen your narrative rather than using your narrative to strengthen those reporting standards. And so that's really the advice that I think will um, become increasingly important in the next couple of years as, as folks try to, you know, try to grapple with some of the uncertainty, the competing standards, and the uh, kind of the chaos of ESG reporting. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I, I appreciate that kind of perspective. And I wonder if maybe you could just help us all think through, say, like a theoretical example of, of an organization that has a you know, annual sustainability report, they're filing their 10Ks, they're doing all of those pieces, some kind of ad hoc communications between the sustainability and investor relations groups. Where would you get started? How would you see that move forward as a process within an organization like that? Well, let's take a um, example of a material manufacturer so let's say a steel or concrete company, a company that has significant climate change issues, but isn't, you know, in the oil and gas industry or utilities where the direct emissions are, are always front and center. So, so they might use SASB as a reporting vehicle, but SASB doesn't really help them 
explain how they are contributing to decarbonization when they reduce emissions in, in production and um, create a market for low embedded carbon materials. So it doesn't really help them do that in and of itself. And likewise, TCFD gives them some more room maybe to do that, but it is risk focused and really more focused on sort of net net, how do you end up on, on carbon risk? And your 10K filing for those companies, most of the time mentions environmental and climate change as an issue, but really does it in a boilerplate kind of way that uh, is more as a reducing the risk factor in the disclosure than, than it is explaining what you're actually doing. But for example, if you have a narrative that is, oh, okay, here's how we are decarbonizing this material production and how we're going, how we think that's going to be a market driver for us. We have customers who care about it. We have standards that enable them to procure to, you know, procure low embedded carbon. That's a storyline that doesn't necessarily fit easily with any of the existing disclosure standards. But if you make that storyline central and it's a you know, key part of your strategy, then you can use SASB to show, okay, this is the evidence in our SASB disclosures about how we are reducing our own emissions. But why it's important is because we are part of decarbonizing the material production and growing our markets as a result. And that same storyline becomes the theme for climate risk and TCFD reporting, and that you really use the governance and strategy metrics, um, you know, pillars of TCFD to amplify and explain more about what you're doing, as opposed to simply just saying, yes, we have governance in place on this. Yes, we have a strategy. And then likewise, in the regulated filings, 10Ks and, and others, that becomes an important narrative and your disclosures there are less boilerplate and protecting against risk and more explaining to investors and the rest of the world that you've got a plan, you're working the plan, and this is how they can evaluate the success of that over time based on the metrics that you're reporting. So it, it sounds like the standards provide that kind of necessary minimum content we need, but it's not sufficient to really maximize our overall value. Is that a fair way of kind of characterizing? Yeah, yeah, I think that is a good way of, of thinking about it. And remember that both SASB and TCFD in their full incarnation say, this should all be disclosed in your regulated filings. And integrated reporting guidance is about doing that same thing or some of those same things for annual reporting. And so we are already in a phase where these investor-focused standards are being implemented in a kind of an immature way as you know, outside of those formal documents. And as some companies move to put them into where they were originally intended in the guidance, that's just going to lead to more of the same kind of pressure for everybody to disclose against them, to do it with quality data that builds confidence 
and that the extra points come from being able to have them support your narrative as opposed to your narrative being, oh, we're SASB and TCFD reporters. Yeah. Well, Don, thank you so much for helping us get our heads around kind of what is happening and maybe that guidance in terms of like floating above it a little bit um, to not get bogged down in all the, the details as they're getting hammered out. You know, maybe one last question just to wrap things up here. You know, is there like a, a, a concise message you would want people to hear about kind of what's happening and where you think things are going and how they should respond? Yeah, I think that at the risk of being lighthearted about it, it's like, hey, the game is on. This is what we all wanted to have happen. And so let's be ready for it. Let's be smart. Let's be engaged with our colleagues, clear about what claims we're making, have good data, report it plainly and in a way that builds confidence in our overall storyline, and to be very clear about how you're creating business value through ESG. And if you can't be clear about how you're creating business value through ESG, maybe you aren't. And you all can be. We all can be. And so let's set that as the new bar that will help us be in the right place as some of the uncertainty about the future around ESG comes to resolution. Perfect. It's a great kind of summary and, and marching orders for us all to be thinking about. So Don, thank you so much. Really appreciate the, the perspective and the time and sharing your insights on the call today. Pleasure to speak with you about this, Chris. All the best. And thank you all for listening. We'll share links to Don's blog post and his contact info in the show notes. As always, if you have any feedback on the show or ideas for topics you'd like to hear about, please do let us know. Thanks again. Take care. Keep well.